back, Mortal X friends. I'm Cody. I'm Riley. And it is new comic book Wednesday. And we are here today at the beginning of the end. The beginning of a new bloody beginning. I don't know. Uh, of course, we are talking about the aftermath of the Hellfire Gala and the beginning of the true beginning of, of the fall of X. Um, we had two X books come out today. We had X-Men 25. And Astonishing X-Men number one. We're going to talk a little bit about both of those books and get you caught up on what's happening in week one of The Fall of X. Riley, how are you feeling? Feeling good, dude. X-Men 25 is awesome. It's so great. X-Men 25 was was um, exceptionally awesome. This has been mm-hmm. two of my favorite back-to-back weeks of, of X-Men comics in a very long time. It's been awesome. Yeah. Um, I I think the last time I felt close to this was when we got um X-Men 11. I'm oh, sorry, Immortal Immortal X-Men 11. Um mm. followed immediately by um sorry, Immortal X-Men 10 followed immediately by Sins of Sinister 1 like a week later. Like okay. that that was a pretty that was a pretty cool high. Um I think I think this topped it though. This this topped that for me. Okay. The the last time that I remember feeling this way about like a, a two week like knockout like, punch yeah. both weeks is uh probably I mean, this sounds like it was so long ago, but it was back when we were in the middle of judgment day okay. and we had the issues of red and immortal yeah. X-Men that were just back to back crazy. Totally. I think I think it was like last June because I think I read one of the insane magneto issues of x-men red in the hospital while we waited for the baby to be born that would have been last june so those two weeks of just like immortal and red back to back i think there's been a few really good immortal red back to back weeks Um, yeah occasionally we've gotten like the immortal red followed by mainline x-men that have been Mm -hmm. like wow we're 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 reading well um but it's been a long it has been a long time i would say it's been since man this is hard to say but it's like it's been since hickman really left for for me like i remember feeling this often when i would get uh like when ten of swords was going on Mm. that that was a really fun time and i know you picked up these books afterwards but reading those live sometimes you'd get like two or three chapters a week which was that's amazing, great which was so fun because because they yeah. literally continued the story each time and um there's a few like that back to back where that that book was rocking like so mm-hmm. so much but this this is a high um the x-men have fallen lower than ever before um but i am i am very excited now in a way that i did not expect to be for fall of x and what duggan is doing mm-hmm. um so I know initial reactions for this book, we were both very excited. Um, this cover, I think, was introduced a while back, right when mm-hmm. we realized Fall of X was going to be real. Um, that has uh, Kate Pride in her Shadow Cat ninja costume uh, with her blades phasing through an Orcus helmet. Um, and that's obviously a very cool visual, uh, but I think little did we know how, how true um, that that visual would come into play in the actual contents of the book. Right. You know, the conversation comes up a lot. Like how often can you completely trust the cover that you're seeing, especially when it's solicited 
four or five months before the actual issue releases. You know, you see something like Shadowcat throwing swords through a an Orcus helmet. And you're like, well, I mean, things are about to get hardcore, but can I believe that? You know, and it's yeah, to see some of the stuff come come true in this issue is pretty pretty solid. So I think we could do a little bit of a breakdown of just what happened this week. Um, but I think I knew I was in for a treat when I f- picked up the book at the shop today and just felt how thick it was. And then I saw the mm-hmm. price tag of five ninety nine. I was like, oh, dang, this, this is this is a big one. And I know you commented when we were doing Hellfire Gala Talk last week, you, you like posted on uh, Twitter or X uh and duggan replied saying like Mm -hmm. if you thought this was great just wait for x-men 25 and i get it yeah i get why you said just wait and hold on um this Mm -hmm. this book this book delivered this book delivered in in droves Mm -hmm. um so i think let's just kind of talk through it just a little bit uh this book opens up really uh it opens up first with a flashback and this is the first time that the mainline X-Men book under Duggan's control has switched back to Shadowcat's perspective. Um, I think something that we wanted to touch on is like Shadowcat was the protagonist of his Marauders book. Mm-hmm. And so we got to see Kate Pride and it looks like we're going right back to moments after when Marauders would take place. Um, yeah. and, and Kate Pride not able to go through the gate. Uh, not able to access Krakoa that way and starting to doubt her own mutant lineage. And she's all of a sudden talking with um, with her rabbi and basically talking about uh, her specialty. Her rabbi asks her if she still believes in God with all of this going on, uh, but basically talks about how special that Kate will be. Flash forward, and now we are following uh, Kate Pride in the wake of the Hellfire Gala at Mansion. And uh, she pulls a John Wick uh, she goes to the floorboards of vengeance and she digs up her old life. Um, and in a you don't mess with Shadow Cat, she pulls out a note that says, You will forever be the weapon that made you, Shadow Cat, from Ogin, one of her uh, ninja masters under her training under Wolverine and her journey to literal hell itself. And that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as, a, as I started reading the issue this morning, it occurred to me that it it felt a little bit intentional that at the very end of the Hellfire Gala issue last week, we see Kate fall through one of the gates and land in the midst of a bunch of Orcus soldiers. But the first time that we see her in present day in this issue is not picking up where we left off at the gala. And at first, when you read, you're like, wait, hold on, like, did I miss something, you know, and then once you've read through the whole issue, it feels very intentional that you're not setting this up as the first set piece of the issue. So I thought it was really cool for him to kind of bounce around. It makes things feel much more effective when you get the whole image of issue 25 under your belt. This was a really fun one to mess around, like exactly you're saying, messing around with that timeline a little bit. Um, Because we also see a few other characters jumping around in the comic a bit. We we pick up with what Orcus is doing, um, (laughs) right? And then we also pick up with what uh, Miss Marvel is doing and her conversations with Emma. But we see it, we see a few moments right after the gala. And then it cuts to this, it keeps saying X weeks later or 10 weeks later is what I'm assuming. 
is going on. Um, it might not be a full 10 weeks. I don't know. It may just be like an ambiguous many weeks later, but we're kind of jumping right. around between a few timelines as we're putting together what happened. And I know last week we kept doubling down on the idea that the Hellfire Gala was Duggan's season finale of this past year. This this felt like a badass season premiere mm-hmm. um, where the cast of characters has started to change. We're learning a bit of the fates of our other heroes um mm. and and we're we're picking up and hitting the ground running and i think um, we're getting that very literally in that one of the characters if you know we're skipping ahead just a touch um in our recap of the issue but one of the characters that she comes into contact with on Araco, she uh gives the charge to do a census of the mutants that are around and what their powers are so yeah. we are very literally going to be getting like a new cast of characters listed for us at some point, you know, which is exciting kind of laying the groundwork of what the next stage is going to be considering that we still have no information on what happened to the entire population of Krakoa. So if we're going to have a large chunk of time without that entire cast, you know, I think Duggan is probably going to set us up for a new, a new round of mutants to, uh, to take a stand here yeah and it definitely feels like we're starting to get that with with miss marvel um mm-hmm. who's much more featured in this than i than i anticipated and i'm not complaining about that either i actually really enjoy the role that she's playing and seeing seeing the mutant survivors so we pick up with the mutants once again i think we're going to be jumping around a little bit i think it's hard to duggan jumps around quite a bit narratively so i think it's going to be hard for us not to but we see the group of mutant survivors essentially in the old Morlock tunnel underground. Um, and they're having meetings with the uncanny Avengers um, led by Captain America, who we haven't really met besides free comic book day yet, because that, uh, mm-hmm. that also written by Doug and that book's not out yet. Um, but we're seeing some seeds of Miss Marvel and Rasputin kind of leading a charge. We see Emma Frost kind of running these underground operations and trying to find out where people are. Kate is the only person who can access the gates now. So she Mm -hmm. is also not wanting help and is kind of taking on a one-woman army to the throes of Orcus while trying to also figure things out. Um, And then we see what Orcus has been doing. We see that they're... I, I thought it was a very clever design choice, and I'm surprised we have not seen it yet, of Orcus plastering posters on the gates mm-hmm. uh, because because they they are not working and so seeing this like organic magical gate have mutants denied or like wanted posters up i thought was a really like haunting visual to see sure yeah um but we're seeing orcas we're seeing what they're doing with some of the other mutants that they're rounding up a lot of them are just tossing them like criminal refugees onto the planet Araco, just leaving them there saying, here's your people. Um, Which at first doesn't seem so inherently terrible. Yeah. Right. You're thinking, okay, maybe they're, they are being a, a little bit true to their word. They're saying, we just want you off earth. Like, okay. So they're throwing them on Araco, and, and at first that doesn't taste so bitter right yeah. and then you read ahead just a touch and they're dropping off this character whose name i've forgotten if it was woofer? listed in the book woofer woofer uh, like i think it's like a sub woofer is i think i think he did something with sound but he was introduced okay. a few x-men issues ago 
Yeah, they drop him off on Arako and you think to yourself, okay, well, that's not inherently so bad, right? He's with other mutants, like, cool, you know, that's an, a mutant planet now, until you realize that this is this is a guy who's never been to Arako before, he doesn't know anything there. It's, I think you could, you know, there is a, uh, there is a poignant stance to be taken here on you know anchor babies and dropping someone in a foreign country that they've never been before yeah. under the guise of something you there's know a, there's something an interesting com- there's an interesting commentary that duggan does and it's it's one of those things where it's like duggan hickman did not have um text bubble narration during his x-men run like and he, <laughs> he often does not um, in his mm-hmm. books. And so I think that was probably one of the most shocking things to pick up with Duggan's X-Men was realizing that we were going to get a more traditional text bubble kind of running commentary that I'm very thankful for it right now, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, I, I feel like he's almost doing some more like kind of novel prose um, with some of the examinations of these characters and especially this idea of refugees suffering or struggling or trying to make orcas trying to make connections of saying a mutant is a mutant is a mutant versus Mm -hmm. the idea of being a mutant and of being an individual that's unique while still having your background obviously and the, the book opens up with kate pride struggling with her own jewish heritage with that yeah um, just just I, I feel like and I know we're going to talk about this a little more, but I feel like Duggan's long game going all the way back to his work on Marauders and Cable. And now this is truly, I think, starting to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, We see the fate of my personal favorite Cyclops, um, who after the explosion at the treehouse is in essentially a mutant concentration camp that Orcus is presenting to the public as helping those who want to be helped as mm-hmm. they're trying to to round them up and keep them safe because people are so angry at them, even though Orcus has orchestrated the whole thing. And um, uh, Cyclops is in a bad state. Uh, Dr. Stasis has him tortured on basically an adamantium rack. Um saying that he could crush him into a black hole if he wants to. uh, And he wants Scott to admit that mutants were responsible for these atrocities. He basically wants a Mm -hmm. press. He wants a press conference uh, with, with Cyclops as the poster boy admitting to the mutant tragedy and then saying that other mutants will live because of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Scott (laughs) says some wonderful comic expletives uh, (laughs) uh, to Dr. Stasis. And it's, it's frustrating it's frustrating to see i it's it's tough to put the x-men against the wall in a convincing way mm-hmm. and and this this i bought every, every well because i think thing. so many people like the the critique of all of this stuff that i've been seeing you know so many people are like praising fall of x so far on like what it's doing yeah but i feel like one of the critiques is like how many times are the X-Men or mutants in general going to get their feet cut out from under them by some villain, right? And so you really, at this point, have to, if you're going to write a story that is able to go against those critiques, 
you need to make it really convincing. You need to make it really earned. Otherwise, it's just going to be yet another example of mutants being the target of bigotry or, you know, zealotry or whatever, right? You have to make it really convincing. Um, and so to see Scott strung up, you know, it's like, okay, this is this is pretty terrible. But um, for me, the kicker with that whole sequence is that Scott has his eyes stapled shut. Yeah which is horrible, you know, that like strung up on a big X, like, okay. I mean, yeah, I, you know, that there's, <laughs> there's a specific cover that's famous that comes to mind when I see a character yeah. strung up on an X, but seeing our dude with his, his eyes literally stapled shut as if they were like open seeping wounds is really a kind of an unsettling, disgusting image. So I was telling my friend uh, Simon about this today, and he was like, "Why can't Cyclops still use his his optic blasts through his eyelids?" And I think I have my own Scott Summers like knowledge for that, but I want to hear from you, Riley. Why why can't Scott just shoot through his eyelids? Well, he doesn't have a healing factor, my man. He needs eyelids. <laughs> so I said something really similar, where he needs eyelids, and two. I think what was implied is that these are basically like adamantium staples. Mm. Um, so he can't even open his eyes. Um, yeah. Do you, are you familiar with Basilisk, Riley? Mm, I don't think so. So in, uh, in Mike Carey's uh, X-Men legacy run, there's an alt, there's an alt universe, kind of like an age of apocalypse called age of X, um, where, mutants once again are in a very very bad way in this this alt history but cyclops um was he was he was captured as like a teen instead of it's basically a world where xavier doesn't exist kind of like age of apocalypse but it's like mutants all live on a kind of a castle fortress compound um and cyclops got captured by the u.s at a young age and had his eyelids removed and so his lasers are always going. So he literally can't close his eyes. And they used him as the execution method of other mutants. So they would they would wheel him out with this mask. And then they would just lift it. And he could do nothing but blast people to oblivion. And it was it's really dark, but it's super fun comic book nonsense. Yeah. So this this was a cool reversal of of the basilisk. Sure. Um we get some good moments with uh with sync and talon still like i I do kind of want to talk about them for a little bit like they've they've fallen quite a bit too um they were Mm. supposed to lead the shiny new team that got nimrodded and I, i it's interesting seeing them trying to fight back and it's just there's nothing they can really do right now like yeah besides kate pride everyone seems pretty immobilized like there's not a there's not it's not like a big um you know there's not a big MCU skybeam you know where Orcus is stationed at like this is a political social attack that they're all kind of just victims of right i do like that sink and talon even though they're supposed to be um the leaders of the shiny new team as you said that they are even with all of this stuff happening they are still being given the leadership role that 
they were very intentional. Duggan himself was very intentional about taking Gene completely off the board. Yeah. Um, and Scott is in, he's alive, but he's in a really, really bad way um, in this concentration camp situation. So you still are going to get Sink and Talon as uh, a, in their leadership roles, which I think is going to be really cool because we've both really enjoyed the Sink and Talon uh, storyline. Yeah. Right. And um, frankly, I'm still kind of surprised that Talon is still around that. I figured that when the storyline came around that Talon is there's now two Laura's running around. Um, I figured that they were going to take her off the board pretty quickly. So the fact that she's around and not even just kind of a background character, but essentially like leading the team of X-Men right now um, for really the foreseeable future is is pretty cool I, i'm pretty cool. excited about I that too. um so i i think it is cool that you know i again um i just know that some of the criticism that duggan has received for his x-men run is that um you don't really it doesn't feel like a team book all the time right that it, it's kind of like one central character as like the leader of that issue and then the others are just kind of around right but i kind of like the idea that he's giving these two people new roles because gene and scott are now off the table for the time being right and i think that yeah. that's that's cool it's going to be a unique thing to read moving forward that's super funny that that's the criticism that that you've heard and I've, I've heard that one too but one of the ones that i've consistently heard is that coming off of hickman's that was so much more of these like individual character studies or more like society studies that duggan's x-men was much more of like a stereotypical team book much more mm-hmm. like something that you would get in the avengers or the fantastic four or like the justice league or something and so like that that felt not what people wanted but mm-hmm. to me now that we're two years into it and a little beyond, like I kind of think it it succeeds because it is such a team book with a really diverse cast. And like we haven't, yeah. I'm thinking of as we're doing this review, like we haven't even talked about like we see what's happened to Forge briefly, and it teases another upcoming book. Um, we see, I you know we talked about Miss Marvel a little bit, and we see what she's doing and where she's going with that. Um, it teases it, it teases other books but in a way that i i think duggan has done well mm-hmm. um and then we get to i think we get to really kind of the heart of the issue um and by that i mean the last several pages is is kitty pride saying what what happened when she fell through the portal after the gala mm-hmm. and we saw her last week landing in front of some of these orcas troops and we learned what happened after she fell through and riley what happened she completely unrestrained unleashes just furious wrath over these orcas soldiers and i think a few things when i was reading these pages first is that Kate really and truly believes that Krakoa is over at this point because she, you know, very specifically says the first law of Krakoa was murder no man. And 
you know, Krakoa is gone. I guess that law doesn't apply anymore. Or I forget the exact wording, but you know, that's the idea. Yeah. Right. So like that just kind of shows you like where these mutants are. Right. Because as readers we're kind of like, Oh, Krakoa, you know, three months from now, six months from now, uh, we'll all be back to normal and there will be some changes I'm sure. But you know, what's it going to be like, you know, we're all, we'll all be back on the Island at some point, but like, they really think that it's over at this point. Like you took my home from me, you took my people from me, all that stuff. Um, and the first law was murder no man, but that's that's over now. That's done. Right. That was the that was one of the things that stood out to me as you read through these these pages that Kate is just truly unleashing everything that she's got on these people, showing just how um how dangerous she is right um her mental state was the first thing that i took from this yeah right um the second thing that i took from this well i think i think what's really important is that she is kind of like changed you know we know that she's been sprite and shadow cat and kitty pride and kate pride and she has all these kind of like different parts of her life right and that a part of her life is now over and she's shifting back into something else right it this this moment was very reminiscent to me of a moment that we see in duggan's marauders uh, a few years ago when she i believe is rescuing uh, a mutant in russia in front of the russian gates right and she does everything she can to these soldiers without actually killing them you know i remember a sequence of her like phasing a gun or something through someone's leg or or something like that and it's it's brutal and grotesque and everything but it's just a threat it's not it's not an actual ending of a life yeah right and so this is like very truly to me like a pivot point for this character like she is completely unrestrained at this point um which I think is cool. There seems to be a little bit of a parallel there, um, which I, you know, I got to applaud Jerry Duggan. And I know that we'll get into this a little bit, but um, he really like plants things and comes back around to them a lot later. And so for him to, you know, this sequence feels very reminiscent to the one that was probably in an issue that came out in, early 2019 or something Uh, you know like it's been several years now but to have the parallel be there and you know it's not like that it specifically references this moment or anything but this is just what comes to mind for me um but to have it be so much farther i think is just kind of notable at like where these characters are going to have to go in order to get out of the situation and I think that's it. And I think that's the main thing that stood out to me is like, this is this is one of the clearest tonal shifts that we have ever had in this line since since Krakoa started. This is truly, um, the, the battle lines have been more than drawn. Like they, they are at war and they're at a war where I think she even says where an Orcus member thinks he has her and then realizes Kate has the upper hand. He's like, oh, the X-Men don't, do this like the x-men are heroes she's like you killed those Mm x-men like that's done um and she ends all of them and i think there's the the, kind of the internal it's the third person narrative monologue but it still is like kate's reasoning of going through and her basically saying she's like 
me not killing these men like if i let one of them live and they get word out that i can use the portals like i am i am dooming anyone else that's still here like like mm-hmm. in those in those few pages it's chilling when she realizes she's like i'm the best hope that mutantum has currently like right in a in a in the most self-sacrificial way and it's like you're talking about like she has to she has to sacrifice herself she has to sacrifice her morals she has to sacrifice any of those other identities to become something that she has clearly long put behind her right and it's uh i it makes me excited it makes me so excited and i think she ends by telling emma frost i'm gonna go kill firestar who she does not know has been planted by Jean, who she does not know is is on the same side as her and is also the other best hope that mutantum has and instead mm-hmm. is just like that vengeance is fueling her um and then we and end, nobody knows no one knows literally no, no one, one knows, the, knows only, this. the only person who knows is Jean and firestar and they're not gonna believe her um and it's just there are some sacrifices that are being made here that i feel like I, I love House and Powers and I love the books that have come after this, but it's like there's some of some decisions like this I feel like I have not seen or felt really since like um Second Coming. Really since like Messiah Complex or even House of just like truly mutant up like there is no return. We are we are at war. And I just think that there's such an idea here of like the mutants of Krakoa are still are still fighting for that belief in Krakoa, even while being like a diaspora scattered to the world. But for me, when this really cinched the issue was the last title page, mm-hmm. um, when it was called the Grindhouse of X, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that that just that. That was so cool. And just seeing yeah. the typography and everything kind of falling out of place. Uh, yeah. And then they had this wonderful uh, page at the end that said, Magneto can no longer use this gate. Thanks, Orcus. And just the publicity that's going on is just so awful. And yeah. Magneto has died a champion hero saving everyone and no one knows. Right. Um. I like, first of all, I love that. I love that um, they're starting to do some, like, some new things, especially with that, like, the ending page that we're used to seeing. Um, That's fun. I really like that a lot. Um, I also really like the, uh, that Marvel is doing a social media campaign around this right now as well, um, where each week it seems both Orcus and Mutantum is going to be throwing out a broadcast of some kind, yeah. you know, it's just like an image or something, but I think it's cool. It's like, it's like a propaganda versus resistance type it's, of thing. So and cool. like, yeah. They don't need to do that, but it's fun that they're doing it. You know, it's just an extra little like, Oh, sick. Like something to tide you over between uh, comic Wednesdays. So mm-hmm. I think that's really fun. Um, so something that we've been talking about a lot is, uh, you know, so this is the beginning of a fall of X as like a huge thing that we've been leading up to for quite some time. You know, we had solicits for issues called before the fall 
Um, and you know, the lineup, the fall of X lineup has been out for several months now and things. So we've been leading up to this for a while. And so I think now that we've seen the gala issue, now that we've seen, um, kind of the, uh, the start of the next stage with today's X-Men issue, um, the, the thing that's kind of been pinging around my mind is, uh, is the question, like, does all of this feel earned? You know, does um, does the beginning of Fall of X feel like an earned pivot or does it feel like here's just the next big thing that we're throwing your way? You know, um, and I know my answer to this question and I've, I've thought about this okay. quite a bit today, um, but uh, I'll pose that question to yeah. you. And does this, uh, you know, I know that you've enjoyed both issues you know, as you've said very clearly, mm -hmm. but does the beginning of fall of X feel earned to you? Yeah, I, I think that it does. And I think while this is the official fall of X beginning, I think it has in a dark way. And I mean this with all due respect to two of my favorite books during this entire era, which is immortal X-Men and X-Men red it has felt like it's beginning to fall since Inferno. Mm -hmm. The cracks have been there and they've been hidden by some grand moments of heroics, but seeing what the non-Duggan creators have been doing while Duggan has had, I think, kind of the hard, thankless job of setting up, I don't want to say the not as exciting things, but seeding orcas's machinations throughout while immortal has been so concerned with how the quiet council is tearing <clears throat> apart and then red is showing how potentially distant Araco is becoming like all three of those have been in each other's orbit mm -hmm. now to see it collide and having the other books like i know we talked about it a little bit last week but having the other books with like um, Immortal X-Men 13 Cypher getting pulled in by Krakoa solely because of all of the shenanigans that were going on in the council let alone all this other stuff like it it feels pretty earned to me and I'm I'm very I'm very excited for what is to come yeah yeah the way that I'm feeling about it well I would agree with you and the thing that has been impressive to me and we don't you know, I had in my head that we might go through every single one of them. And I don't think that that's necessary. Yeah. But, um, you know, as we said earlier, Duggan's X-Men run to some has felt very flavor of the week, right? That it, or it's just it's just very episodic, that it's just one and done, you know, whatever. It's not this grandiose, long structure, whatever. And, yeah. you know, OK, like I think that that has merit. But when you have something like Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red in that orbit that you were talking about, I think this feels very fresh to me. I think so too. Now, what what strikes me is that I think you're right. Since uh, since Inferno, Duggan has been writing all of these little seeds, and we just now are beginning to see all of them erupt at once. And the thing that's cool is each one of those seeds felt very flavor of the week at the time right say you're reading x-men issue number eight 
right? And the X-Men go through this thing, they kick someone's ass, and then it's the issue's over. Yeah. You know, maybe it gives you something tantalizing to think about for next month, right? And cool, the X-Men just do their thing, our heroes, right? But isolated that villain or whatever didn't seem like a huge deal and the x-men handle it you know with no problem and they wipe their hands and they go back to the treehouse right but now at the gala we're seeing every single one of those components all piling on together and it strikes me the more that i think backward to all of the things that duggan's been writing since inferno you know, at the time, maybe it seemed a little like easy to shrug off some of these things, whether it be villains or their motivations or whatever Modoc is working on or whatever mm-hmm. Phalong is doing, you know, whatever. But when you throw them all together in the same pot, it all goes downhill really fast, which we saw in last week's issue. And even again today, We're right? That today. Um, yeah. One of the one of the things that popped into my mind as I was reading is um, I believe it's X-Men issue like 22, 22 or 23. Um, and it's the issue in which um, Orcus has established like um, almost like a Red Cross type. Yes. Like that's where we base camp. Wolfer, Riley. Yeah. OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. And, um, you know, they have they're telling people a la you know x-men the last stand hey come and come if you want stand in line and you can get your thing and you don't have to be a mutant anymore right and when we see a character say maybe this isn't what i want and tries to back out of the situation you know they try to force him into it which is where the x-men have to step in right now at the time, it's like, oh, this is horrible, Orcus, you, uh, whatever, and the X-Men, yeah. you know, handle it readily and it's over, right? But then you fast forward to today's issue and you have Dr. Stasis telling this giant group of spectators and reporters like, oh, this is what Orcus is doing, you know, combating whatever, and we're taking care of business and making themselves look like this this heroic, heroic force of good yeah. after after the government of Krakoa has wronged their own people and the people right. of the world yeah and in a series of panels we see one that they're saying that they're granting amnesty or whatever to mutants or whatever when they're dropping them off on Araco but we already talked about how nefarious that is and then we see those red cross base camp tents again where the forced vaccinations are coming into play right so it's you know all of these things that he's been laying the groundwork for in his last 25 issues they're really starting to come through especially with last week's hellfire gala uh issue and so i guess the more that i think about what duggan is achieving with his x-men run and leading into all of this it's just really cool to see that he has been playing a really long game with some of this stuff. And when we've been reading month by month, it's not been easy to see that he was leading to something. It was like, Oh, Orcus is doing this this month and they're doing this right now. And they're all horrible and whatever. But when we see all those components come crashing down together, it really, it really just gets awful for them. So I guess on that note, I, I have just, two things that kind of came to my mind in a really similar way of not just the seeds being planted, but um, I 
you and I have talked about it a little bit. I think even just last week when we were talking about how Duggan's run on X-Men, there's those middle issues that seem just a little messier than the rest, still fun and enjoyable where it was the dark web tie-ins and then it was the brood and Captain Marvel tie-ins. And we got some really fun stuff with Scott and Jean during that. And we got to see other powers fluctuating, but it that was during sins of sinister and so mm-hmm. i always thought it was interesting when that was coming out that duggan was not playing a role with that x-men book in sins of sinister um and seeing what those alt futures would be and now we're getting to here and part of what caused the fall of x is the fallout of the world's knowing about sins of sinister and what's been revealed but it's like this future that is happening to mutants in some of these same scenes paralleled what was going on in sins of sinister mm-hmm. during that first issue and so seeing that during the fall of x made it really feel like oh hey like duggan omitted himself for a reason and it was yeah. because he was going to show us an even darker future um than what was going on in sins and two i think you and i have talked about this quite a bit where it's tough seeing what felt like such a fresh novel evil idea in house and powers with orcus being this collection of scientific minds like kind of be reduced to like a gi joe like cobra villain of just like <laughs> ah we'll get you x-men and like i feel like that is almost now intentionally of what they felt because i think the idea of orcus felt so menacing and big but at the end of the day their big plan in house and powers is to create a mother mold that created master molds that created sentinels that killed all the mutants at once. And the fact that it has evolved into this nefarious, like political psyops and all level of the government makes me actually feel like, Oh no, I think this is where it was supposed to go. Like I actually do feel confident and fine where, where Orcus is leading. Yeah. Having said, I feel like we could talk about 25 all day and I know we kind of want to wrap this up. There was another book that came out today that I know we both mm-hmm. had the chance to read, and that was Astonishing X-Men um, by Steve Orlando, who is currently writing Scarlet Witch. Um, Iceman. And, and what did I call it? Astonishing X-Men? Astonishing Iceman. Yeah, you've the got X-Men Whedon's out. Run on the Brain or something. I do. It's right behind me. Um, but Astonishing Iceman came out. Uh, Steve Orlando, who has been writing Scarlet Witch for a while, um, who was previously writing the second rendition of Marauders and has been around for a while, um, he wrote Astonishing Iceman. Last week, we spent a bit of time talking about Bobby Drake, Iceman dying and um, coming back. I think we both kind of had the same reaction to this book. Like, I guess we we get it. It's fine. It seemed fun. It looks like it's going to be a bit of a book about Iceman and uh, Romeo of the Inhumans coming from an ice palace to save people. Um, seems like a superhero book and honestly already to me i know we have not read it seems really similar to what uncanny spider-man would be um i everything i just said about orcus though that i like what duggan's doing i don't necessarily see that in astonishing iceman Mm. that or that orcus feels more like the gi joe villain to me i could see that i think that's fair um any other astonishing um... iceman takes you need to talk about or no, not really. I, um, you know, again, I'll reiterate that I think it's, um, I think it's worth noting that so many of the Fall of X titles are minis. Yeah. 
Um, So I am confident that maybe, uh, although this wasn't like my favorite opening issue of a story, that seeing as though it's going to be a tight, concise four or five issues that, you know, maybe there's something really important in there to tell. Um, I, uh, I'm definitely like holding out judgment, but I think the flip side of all that is like, they're going to have to convince me with every one of these minis that it was necessary at all. I agree. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think that's kind of all that I have about that one. Um, you know, I, I don't mind it, but it, it definitely in, uh, in the shadow of X-Men 25, it was just not, it didn't really do anything for me. I stopped thinking about it almost immediately, you know, which I think, you know, is not to be a, you know, a dig at any creative anyone, but it just, it did not hook me in the way that I I'm hoping uh, a book will do. I also feel like it, this is, this is a hard act to follow. Like I'm really curious and I even say that. So next week um, for, for fall of X week two, we have children of the vaults. Number one. Uh, mm-hmm. We have Immortal X-Men number 14 and we have Ghost Rider Wolverine Weapons of Vengeance Alpha number one. Um, mm-hmm. So we have a few we have a few books uh, to talk about next week um, as as we're starting to be off to the races uh, following the fall of X. Um, yeah. Are you excited about any of these uh, any of these minis more than the others? Like which um, ones are you anticipating? Uh, like this is a this is a cop out answer and then I'll answer for real. I'm I am very excited for to see what Gillen and Ewing are both going to do during this time, specifically Gillen, um, because their focus on like these individual character monologues while moving the plot forward is just seems so ripe for this mm-hmm. era in a way that I like am giddy for next Wednesday. Um right. but I'm I'm very excited for the children of the vault. Those are there's a big big favorite characters and the fact that Forge is there and I think um mm-hmm. I think Cable and Bishop have been teased to be as part of that so. as well like I'm like yeah that's those those are my three favorite like non Cyclops X boys right there right so, yeah now uh, what about I you? think for me I'm looking forward to Uncanny Avengers because I feel like that book is going to answer a lot of the questions or fill a lot of the blank spots for us right, right. now yeah um. I am also very excited. Um, I think more than I expected to be uh, about the Miss Marvel book that's yeah, coming out at the end of the month. Um, on the side, I've actually been reading Miss Marvel, like mm-hmm. all of that, every run since the uh, since the book launched originally, and I am really enjoying the hell. It's out really of good. It. I like, like it a lot. I yeah, really am enjoying this so much, and. Um, just the little bits that they've done with Miss Marvel um, already are very exciting to me. Um, there was something that that kind of popped into mind as my my closing thought to yeah. all of this is, uh, um, you know, I just read an issue last night that is a Miss Marvel tie-in for Civil War Two, and you know what it comes down to is, you know, as you know, part of her core character is. Miss Marvel is like the biggest fan of Captain Marvel, like in the universe, like is her like hero, her undying hero. And um, because of having so many moral convictions against what Carol is up to, 
she makes the decisions. Yeah. She makes the conscious decision to side with Tony Stark um, against her hero, her idol. um, And very clearly shows the goodness that she holds and her morality and all of that stuff. And, um, and then to read X-Men 25 today and have Miss Marvel say, you know, even if I weren't a mutant, I would still be standing with you. I am very excited about the, um, you know, we've been talking so much about Xavier and his lack of moral conviction and stuff right now. And to just have someone coming into all of these books as such like a beacon of good. Yeah. I'm very excited to see what Miss Marvel is going to be in this next phase. That's going to be a real bright spot. Really great note. And I think that's a good place for us to start to wrap things up on. Cause yeah, she's definitely cut from the same um, ultimate Spider-Man ultimate miles Morales claw mm-hmm. of just like a young hero in the midst of this turmoil. That's still like, yeah, let's do the right thing. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Riley, I had a great time talking with you about these books today. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out for everyone uh, to follow us on Immortal X Friends on Instagram. Um, and also uh, to give a shout out to uh, Gage Cornwall, who does our intro and our closer every week uh, and who does just a great job with our music. Uh, so Riley, any any final final thoughts? Nope. Um, yeah. Follow us on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to talk comics with more people each week. Um, we've been enjoying so much about reading these books and we'd love to like share our thoughts and see what you think and yeah. disagree with us, please. Please you know? do. So uh, yeah, read comics and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. Bye.